Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there. I was just staring out the window and thinking, what a glorious day. And uh, glorious day yesterday. And I'm, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. And of course, I immediately think of people that are not enjoying wonderful weather and uh, people who are like just roasting in the drought-ridden West. I, th- I read somewhere today that the uh, the levels in lakes uh, and reservoirs are down so far that in one case, the uh, the wreckage of a airplane crash from the 80s or something is now uncovered, visible, somewhere in California, I think. Incredible. So, hello. I did start again about the weather, didn't I? I can't help it when it's this glorious. Just wow. Anyway, excuse me. (coughs) We were overdue for that. Uh, It's June 24th, just to set things uh, in the space and time continuum. And it's a a Thursday. And it's 2021. A year with no paucity of of news so what do we talk about you know um we move from story to story with such i want to use the word alacrity i don't even i've never said that out loud and i don't even know if that's proper usage i think it is but we you know we just bounce from story to story uh and and that is because we are driven by uh, media and its desires to constantly entertain and distract us. And, oh, look over there. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, well, oh, look over there. And you realize that you often don't get any – I'll use this term that annoys the hell out of me – closure um, about so many of the stories that might have held your attention, your rapt attention. Uh, for maybe for days, and then bango, it just disappears into the recesses of your gray matter. And I think everything's just moving too fast. But I, I came upon an update on a story I hadn't thought about in months, and I just thought I'd pass it on to you because odds are you haven't either. And maybe you don't even give a damn. But for a while, there was a big story because it was the story of that huge container ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal that had an impact on global shipping. Ships all over the place were turning around and deciding, well, I guess it'll be faster to go around the go around Africa rather than right through this canal and on and on and on and yada yada yada. And and then we. It got 
somehow pushed out that big container ship and uh, and things went back to relative normal and we stopped paying attention, right? Well, do you know all this time, and, and that was in March, all this time, the poor members of the crew of that huge container ship, you know, I don't even know what, what the... Uh, exactly like how big that container ship is. I'm trying to remember, did they say it was like three football fields or whatever? On that huge ship, there is a crew of 25, which I guess makes some sense because mostly it's just cargo. So since we stopped paying attention, those 25 sailors guys just trying to make a living, all of them from India, even though the ship is owned by uh, a Japanese. uh, Boy, is there anything more universal than uh, the makeup of uh, maritime anything? Uh, Ships licensed in countries that they have nothing to do with, with crews from an entirely different country, a captain from another, an owner uh, someplace else. I'm sorry, I'm just blathering. But those poor 25 Indians have been stuck on that ship ever since. And that ship is stuck just to the side of the Suez Canal. Uh, It got towed over to um, uh, a little a little natural body of water that somehow connects to the canal. And it, it, for these poor Indian sailors, it's got, it's got a perfect name because they have been stuck on that ship in the great bitter lake. Yeah. Yeah. They have been unable to leave the ship. They're just stuck there. Um, and while people that are deemed more important than they <laughs> are negotiating to see just how money is, how much money it's going to take to let them go. And uh, still hasn't happened. The Egyptians are saying we want, uh, I think, over a billion dollars for the damage that was done, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, there's insurance companies involved and, again, people from all kinds of different countries. I believe the owner is uh, Japanese, right? Anyway, just wanted to tell you. Uh, If you ever wondered, and odds are you didn't, um, while the owner and the insurance company and the Suez Canal authorities um, have been quibbling, well, it is a lot of money, have been quibbling for a long time, months and months and months. And these poor, poor guys who had nothing, by the way, to do with what happened. I mean, they were not in charge. But it turns out that, I mean, I, you know, who who knows how this will end? Because uh, there have been other instances 
where a ship has done damage to the Suez Canal and has been impounded like this with its crew. And um, <clears throat> in some cases, they have been stuck for years, years. So there's that. And I know, again, meh, so. Uh, okay, I so there was a picture in the uh, New York Times today that freaked me out. Somewhere in the back of my head, I already knew that when pandas give birth, and you know those they're like big animals. They're like these huge, roly-poly, so cute we can't believe it animals, right? The giant panda. Well, the giant panda, when it finally does give birth, which happens rarely, apparently, it is the female essentially squirts out a. It's it's no bigger than a. It, it gets lost in the palm of your hand. So I'm looking at a picture, and I didn't know what I was looking at. It looked like this raw, <clears throat> sort of a red. Uh, maybe ceramic uh, depiction of a a dog. I mean, because you have a tail, there's a, like a long tail and there's four legs and this weird head and it's red, but it's being held in a gloved person's hand between its thumb and index finger. It's just being held, this little thing. And I thought, what the heck is that? It looks sort of wet and icky. And that's one of the pandas that got born in Japan the other day. There were twins. And this was the first one who came out. And it didn't even weigh four ounces. I've always thought of childbirth as, you know, something extraordinary that only females, I think generally speaking, I guess there's a few outliers, can do. And um, and that it hurts. <laughs> I don't think it hurt much for a pan. I think the pandas lucked out here because passing one of these things would not. It just looks. First of all, it doesn't look anything like a panda. It's frightening looking. Four ounces. What would a human newborn uh, be if we were? I mean, we would weigh uh, one ounce. I don't know. And we wouldn't look like a human. That is really weird. So anyway, there were two of them. How they ever even know a panda's pregnant? I mean, given that this wouldn't make a, I hate the term, baby bulge, oh, bump, baby bump. I hate that term. That's one. Um, God. The weight of the second one isn't even known yet, I guess. But uh, the story in which uh, this picture appeared, which creeped me out, has the greatest opening sentence. Oh, I'm going to share it with you now. As the giant panda shinnied into a handstand and urinated upside down against a tree, it was an auspicious sign. Apparently, that was the male. Uh, 
showing his stuff to the female <clears throat> some months, uh, some, I don't know how long the gestation period is, but that's how it all began. And, uh, yeah, with the male doing a handstand and urinating upside down. And I guess that that is to spread his scent uh, wider than it would normally go. And, uh, man, I must have been a hell of a handstand because it seems to have done the trick, resulting in these these two frightening-looking, slippery, pink, and they're going to become these cute things. Pandas. <coughs> okay. Is there a big story I'm supposed to be talking about? I hope not. Well, there is. I mean, uh, that geez, that that uh, high rise somewhere near Miami, right in Miami, just freaking fell down. I mean, the whole. Can you imagine? I mean, it wasn't like it was an explosion. It was. It, it, it just fell down. I don't. I know we got crumbling infrastructure. Uh, but I, I don't recall ever hearing of such a, of a building just simply, I mean, a relatively new building uh, and, and it just like says, oh, I just can't anymore. And it just drops. Lord, I, is there, there's, they, they know that there's one dead. I mean, it's amazing that there's not more. I don't, I haven't seen again. I'm so, I pretty much stopped watching television except for, you know, streaming Netflixy stuff. I pretty much have stopped. So I don't watch news anymore. And I don't, I don't know what's on there. And I'm sure that's a big story today, right? Because that would be some really good visuals. A lot of potential uh, attraction of, rubberneckers uh, to that. All right. Um, free Brittany. Free Brittany. The funniest thing I saw on Twitter today was somebody had a sign. I think they had just scribbled it on something. I don't know really what it but it said it said free Brittany and Palestine. <laughs> Oh, gosh. How did this, how did, I don't, I don't get it. I, it was a little bit I've, I've paid attention to in regard, I haven't watched the, apparently it's a documentary, all this stuff about this poor, poor uh, pop star. Never. Um, who's essentially being, yeah, the courts have given her father conservatorship, which means she can't, she can't do a damn thing without her father's permission. And he sounds like a real SOB. It's sort of like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like um, the uh, NCAA uh, athletes making 
tons and tons and tons of money by their talent and not being and, and not getting any of it. So in this case, her father's got all the money. She makes millions and millions and millions, and she has no access to it or even the ability to make decisions about her own life, where she can go, what she can do. And it's pretty outrageous. Free Britney! I don't know. So, what else? It's going to be one of those days. I'm sorry. There was nothing to me uh, compelling in much of what I read because it's also in flux. And I speak, of course, of much of what's going on in Washington, D.C. And I have just, and this is by virtue of just having paid attention for so long, I have outgrown or outlived my capacity to be fascinated in any way, interested, or, you know, allowing myself to get emotionally involved in the day-to-day of uh, what goes on in this country. I can't do it. And I suspect I'm not alone. I think we're all pretty exhausted. Pretty damn exhausted. So yesterday, and I think I told you, I'm starting every sentence with so. <laughs> Excuse me. Yesterday, I think I told you, I was going off to buy a cemetery plot. And I did. <laughs> I did. I, if you ever, you know, there are people who are shoppers and then there are people who aren't. I'm in the latter category. Uh, I can think of people who love to shop as people I would really not want to go shopping with because they're people who like just get distracted. Oh, but look, oh, look at that. Oh, well, try that on. No, try that on. Well, let's see. No, no. Look at that. Oh, try. I want to say, oh, I don't really need them. Oh, look at that. That's, you know what I mean? I would rather, uh, I, I don't know, get a colonoscopy than, than shop with a shopper. The people who mull, the people who can't make up their minds, the people who, wow, geez, I don't know. And it's, it's just so exhausting. So I tend to shop in a very sort of, I don't know, (laughs) sometimes it yields uh, regrets is true, but I'm pretty quick. And, you know, I thought, oh, boy, you're going to be picking out your final resting place. That might be something that even you want to think about a little bit, not just say, okay, that's fine. Bye. Um. And and for the first time, I did find myself trying to be more um, picky and asking questions. And um, I was very proud of myself. But I still made a decision within, I'd say, 20 minutes, which I think for a lot of people would be considered fast. And I told you that I'd 
I'm going to be planted in this, uh, you know, green cemetery, this uh, Penn Forest Natural Burial Park. And I believe it was one of you who first alerted me to it in an email before the pandemic, because I had gone research to researching it, looking it up, and had decided I have to make an appointment. And then the pandemic came and I forgot. So I went out to this place, only like 20 minutes from my house. I mean, driving like my brother, otherwise it's maybe 30, that 25, I don't know. And um, it does not in any way seem like a cemetery. It just seems like a woods. It just seems like you're in nature. Woods and meadows. There's one area that's like all wildflowers. Old trees, ferns, you know, it's just whatever's growing. It's just there. They're not planting stuff. It's just the reality of it. And um, so I and no headstones. Uh, some of the uh, graves are um, are marked, but in order to have a marking, it has to be on a very pretty small stone slab that has to be flush with the ground, can't stick up above it. So laid down like a natural stone might be. And it, the stone has to be a native stone to Pennsylvania. It all has to be, there can't be anything there that wouldn't naturally be there. And it's very quiet there. And it was a beautiful day. And, you know, you couldn't, I heard a train whistle and I thought, oh, good. I love the sound of a distant train whistle because in my childhood, I used to love hearing that when I was trying to sleep. And I can hear them here when I'm trying to sleep. And it occurred to me, is there anyone who lives anywhere that can, well, I suppose rural, but if you live in a city, you can always hear train whistles, right? So it's like not something special that happened to me. But, um, and here's the cool thing. I get to, I get to have my dog with me. I said, could I like have my dog get, you know, buried here with me too? And they said, sure. No problem. If they throw in the dog for, uh, no extra cost. Uh, oh, wow. I, there are two birds taking a bath in the little pond I have out there. Oh, my God. They're so happy. Uh, what do I know? They're so much cleaner. So I am really looking forward uh, to uh, being dead in that place. That uh, that just strikes me as a nice, nice place to spend the rest of your life. They even have a big garden with flowers where you can, it's, you go, you go in and you can take some home, you know, just pick them. And I did. 
And the other thing is there's a lot of animals around there. So um, it's a, there's a hiking trail and then there's a, uh, a preserve and um, there are sheep and goats and chickens and ducks. Trying to think what else. Oh, and there's, I think her name was Jing, Jiggly or something like that or Jingles. And uh, she was a white donkey. And uh, she walked around with me for a while. And I totally, um, it was just amazing. I was covered in long white donkey fur when I came home. Um, I mean, each really long, I was surprised at how long uh, the the hair was. So it was like four or five inches long, big, white, coarse, white things from her um yeah it's an unusual place and uh i want to thank i forget who did it uh, thank whoever told me about it so thank you there's only about 200 people uh buried out there right now but uh, the woman says in the last year or two people have been have been getting a lot more interest as people begin to see the the sort of beauty of being in a lovely place like that in a natural setting. So I always get the impression that people don't like talking about this stuff. Why is that? Because we don't want to think of our mortality. So driving back, there was that so again, driving back from the place, going back home, uh, I was uh, I was on Ohio, is that, no, Ohio River Boulevard? No, Allegheny River Boulevard? Allegheny River Boulevard, of course. It was on the Allegheny, you idiot. Ohio River is, uh, it was the Allegheny River Boulevard. And as I went away from it, I thought, so my last corporeal trip I looked at the cars coming the other way. I thought my last corporeal trip will be heading on this road to that place. That's sort of neat. I don't know. I'm 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 weird. I'll stop. I'll stop. I really will. I will stop right now. Right now. Bree, writing from Malaysia, says, no train whistle here. Really? Well, maybe they don't even whistle. Maybe that you you hear trains, but maybe not whistles, because you know in Asia they probably have much better trains than we do. Everybody has much better trains than we do. Uh, so maybe they don't even bother whistling anymore. I don't know. No train whistle here, he says. But I do hear the call to prayer several times a day. Uh, oh yeah. Well, you live in a Muslim country, you're going to hear the call to prayer. What is it, five times? Uh, And Bree says the 5 or 6 a.m. one can be problematic. I guess so. But I suppose if it's such a constant that you would eventually sort of almost not hear it or it wouldn't disturb your sleep. It would just be part of the natural uh, soundscape. 
I've heard the call to prayer when I was uh, when I was in in Israel, and uh, I love it. I love it. I don't know if I'd love it five, six times a day, every day, but I'd love it. There's something because there's something so enduring about it, you know, to know that this this call. I always get chills when I think of it. Often when I when I say a Hebrew prayer, I'll say a prayer and think, "Geez, this prayer exactly like this has been said." has been being said for over 2,000 years. This is a prayer that Jesus would have said. And to know on certain holidays when we're saying these prayers that all over the world, Jews who might speak a million other languages are all saying these prayers. That always blows my mind. And, And in this case, too. The Muslim call to prayer, the sound of it, it's just wondrous, really. And then Bree says, in terms of birds, I read that there may be something, oh no, I heard that there may be something going around there in the eastern U.S. What? Bird baths may be spreading something? Hey, look it up. Experts aren't sure. Well, this is not a bird bath. This is a moving water source. They, I have a little pond that has a little waterfall, and it's on the top of the waterfall. There's a you know a little uh, a space which is where they go. The water is running, and I I don't know. Oh, I hate water just pools and there's no. Yeah, because that's how mosquitoes get around. Okay. In my mail, I almost said so in my mail, but I actually got rid of it. In my mail yesterday came something that comes every year, and it's, uh, well, let's just say this. The return address is a logo. G, and under that it says 13-time world champions. <clears throat> it's from the Packers, my hometown. And um, it is my notice that the shareholders meeting is coming up on uh, July 26th. And so they send me tickets every year. You have to have a ticket to go in. And I get four tickets. Anyone want to go to the shareholders meeting of the Packers? It's quite an experience. Uh, It's held in the stadium in Lambeau Field, rain or shine. And um, all the, you know, all the town folk who ponied up some money at some point in the family life to uh, help the struggling, you know, team, um, they show up because they're shareholders. We have a vote. And uh, there's a great deal of excitement because last year's shareholders meeting was held virtually for the first time because of COVID and uh, whatever, all I know, all they want, I mean, this is in regard to anyone who owns shares in the Packers having any real 
uh, ability to influence anything is, of course, absurd. I where this is a I've never gone to one of these things. I think it would be well, it might be interesting to go once, but I'm I'm never around when they when they have it. Um, it was in 1923 that the team first sold shares. And uh, I think I inherited mine from uh, an uncle. Not sure. I've lost the actual certificate, but they got my name. And it's it's mostly about, uh, uh, you know, voting on the board of directors. And the board of directors is a bunch of local yokels, always has been. Uh which is also unusual for a sports team, right? There's no owner. There's just, let me see, I'm looking up the names of some of these people. There's no owner, but there's, well, here's somebody I actually know. Christine Molesky. I know her. She comes to my mom's house for dinner. She's on the board. And then uh, it's just people who like are in business in the, well, there's the, um, people from the Oneida nation. And there's a guy named Kohler who's with the Kohler, you know, the plumbing company, uh, which is right up the road from Green Bay in a place strangely called Kohler, Wisconsin. Anyway, if anyone wants to go to the share, I'm sure I can't uh, give these to somebody who's not a real shareholder, but there you go. It's a wonderful little, strange thing. Ellen writes, I've been increasingly thinking of trying to find somewhere that will compost bodies when people have died. My original thoughts were to be cremated, but the thought of something more environmentally friendly, yes, appeals to me. The place you are describing sounds lovely. Are people buried in some kind of casket? Well, it depends on what you mean by composting. I mean, um, I think there are no like lead liner things. No, anybody buried there is buried in something that will biodegrade. So you don't want some fancy coffin. You could have a cardboard box or as I asked, I said, you don't have to have any of that, do you? Just put you in. I mean, I would, um, I would take from from Jewish uh, burial ritual, which I find very compelling, um, I would, you know, have a, a, you know, white linen shroud, simple, total white linen shroud, wrap me up and put me in. There's no reason to have a container. The container is the earth. Um, and you, so that's how most people are buried there. They just got, they get put in and then they mound, you know, dirt over you. I saw a few of the fresher graves and you you can tell which they are because there's like big mounds of, of dirt over them. And they wait until those settle, as they say. And that's like six to eight months usually. And when they're pretty sure things are settled, they... Uh, level off that mound so that, you know, it can go back to being exactly like it was. And um, 
you know, at that point, you can plant stuff on on top. You can put a marker if need be. Um, and I mean, that's composting, isn't it? You just go right back to nature. It's leaving it to a natural process. I've never quite understood why, you know, I mean, yeah, otherwise, you know, if you, to get bare, to me, to get buried in some, you know, casket that then has a lining. So there's no way that you can decompose in a, in a natural way. It just makes no sense. Why put you in the ground then? It's just craziness. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. And you can also, uh, you know, put cremains there. There's a number of areas for cremains. Um, it just makes sense. I got a stipulation that after a year I can, I can, somebody at my direction can plant a tree on top of me. So whatever's left of me can in the tree I love the idea I really do you know I listen. Uh, Barbara says I was told there's a choice of wood wicker or some type of material shroud all must be biodegradable yeah okay yeah I mean I yeah you can't be in a plastic bag okay you could be in a paper bag and recycle one of those damn Amazon cartons you got. I don't know. Seems like a good idea. Hey, I should have told him I was going to do a, a commercial for him and maybe gotten a better deal. If any of you guys go out there and, and, and decide to give him some money because you're buying a plot, tell him I sent you. So maybe they'll, uh, you know, Hell, I already paid. Uh, so there it is. And I just love the fact that those animals are all over the place. God, they're funny. It was lovely. Really lovely. Okay, that's that. You know, I, I have to tell you, we've changed a lot, haven't we? Uh, because of what we've been through this last year. And we've lost a lot. And some of that loss is, uh, has been tragic and unbearable. And many people are grieving. Great loss. But then there are other things we lost that we can celebrate. And I was thinking a lot of us lost this sort of crazy sense that we had to always be doing something. That if we were not being productive, if we were not, you know, out there doing this, that, giving, getting in, you know, buying, spending, getting, taking, blah, 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 that we were not living. And I don't know. I found out, no, it could be a lot quieter and slower and contemplative 
it could. And I'm hoping that people hang on to that and don't return to the hustle and bustle of insanity. Um, yeah. Yeah. That so many of us lived in and many, I suppose, still do. But one of the things I lost, I'm not quite sure what to call it. I, I, initially, I thought it was my vanity. And to a large extent, I guess that's sort of what it is, but not really. I never, up until the pandemic, I would never go out in public before I painted my face. And I mean painted it. First, I'd put concealer under my eyes because I have naturally very dark shading under my eyes, raccoon eyes. First, I'd do that. Then to blend that into the rest of my mottled old skin, I would put a foundation on. So I'm smearing, I'm painting, I'm painting my entire face. Then after I've done that, you apply powder to keep that affixed. Then I would turn my attention to my eyes, which I always found wanting. And I would draw a line with eyeliner atop my, my lashes. Um, and I put that line atop my eye for 55 years, every day. I got so good at it, I could just like zip and zip. And the thought of going out without that line was in, it wouldn't even have entered, it wouldn't even have, I, 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 no way. And then as I got older and my eyebrows started thinning out, I had to add fill in the eyebrows on top of it. Because I had naturally black lashes, I never got into mascara, so I didn't ditch the mascara, didn't have to do that. But then I had to do lipstick. I still haven't gotten to my hair. Oh, man, depending on what part of my life that was in the big hair days of the 80s. Good God almighty. That was a long time of dealing with. If I could get all the time back that I have spent in my life putting on this liquid mask so that I would be acceptable, putting on this paint so that I would be found attractive. My God, I probably have months and months and months and months. And now, I don't do a goddamn thing. Not a thing. I'm just like a guy. Only I don't have to shave. It's better than a guy. I get up. I wash my face. I mean, I put 
cold water on my face. There's nothing to wash off. I don't have any, there's nothing there. It's just natural. I, I brush my teeth. I comb my now very long hair, twist it up into a thing, stick a stick something in it so it stays in one place, takes two seconds, and I'm out the door. And when I first started to do this, I was self-conscious. I was thinking, I wonder if people think like I'm really, they must just think I'm ugly as hell. And, and then I stopped thinking about it so that I, when I meet people now, they meet me as I am. Not hiding anything. Here I am. And I suppose this is something that women who aren't actively looking for partners can do. Because the whole idea was you had to be a certain, you had to have a certain look to be considered attractive in our culture. Every once in a while, I'd have a boyfriend who'd say, you don't need all that stuff. Stop putting all that stuff. I like you better without it. And I would look at them like they were insane. So it's not vanity I lost. I lost this this self-loathing that I was taught. That what I was naturally was somehow... <laughs> needed to be covered up, needed to be painted over, needed constant enhancement. And that's all learned. And it can be unlearned. And if this pandemic and the enforced isolation it created um, has done me any good in, in that regard. I'm so grateful. I really am. And maybe if I were younger, I don't know, maybe I would be less inclined. Um, maybe I would still be in the clutches of the culture more, but when you get old enough, who the hell cares? First of all, being an old woman, which I am, one has gotten used to already sort of not being looked at like you used to be looked at. Any woman of a certain age will tell you that when you walk down a street, you get you get looked at up, down, sometimes really creepily, sometimes with, you know, disgusting things being said. And then you get old and... At first, the absence of that was sort of upsetting. To me, nobody's, none of these disgusting men on the sidewalk are lusting after me anymore. It was, oh, you age out very quickly in this culture, especially if you're not wearing makeup. Anyway, yeah, discounted. So who cares what I look like, right? 
Yeah, Ellen says, I was implying that I would be adamant about not being in any kind of box. Right. You don't have to be in a box. Who wants to be in a box? Chuck writes, a couple of years ago, we buried one of my best friends in Penn Forest. Ah, oh, I'll be with him. Pete spent his life as an environmental engineer, and he traveled the world helping to solve environmental issues, often in third world countries. Pete died of cancer at the age of 57. And to the very end, he was truly an environmentalist. He wanted to be buried at Penn Forest. He said that modern day cemeteries are full of environmental waste. The coffins alone are full of contaminants and the bodies are full of toxic fluids. He was against that, so we buried him. He arrived at the cemetery in cardboard and after his friends took turns speaking, we dropped his body in a hole. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Every year his friends return, guitars in hand, and we sing the songs that Pete liked best. Oh, that's just lovely. That's just lovely. You know, when you first get there, when, when I, they took me on a tour, when you first get there, the first uh, place where they tell you that this is an area where there are bodies buried because you can't tell. But there was a sign that said something like Jewish. It was like uh, the ghetto. <laughs> it was like Jews, Jews buried here. And I thought, what? You gotta, you do have a Jewish part? And the reason it's a Jewish part is, I guess, again, with Jewish burial, you want to be laid in so-called consecrated ground, and that can only happen with the blessing of a rabbi. And so some rabbi said, how did this, she says, well, some rabbis came out and they blessed this land, soil here, so Jews are buried in it now. Now, I am not, I said, yeah, but it's not I wouldn't, I said, I'm a Jew, I said, but I don't want to be buried here. It's too close to the parking lot. You can see a house over there. I don't feel like I'm in the woods here. I said, the Jews couldn't have negotiated some better real estate here? I can't believe this. So I said, I'm not going to be buried with my, the Jews. I'm sorry. Let's keep going. I need to get into a, yeah, someplace that seems like a forest. So the upshot is, is that when we finally found a place where we could put me, there was only one little space left here. And I said, so, you know, the, the woman had to say, so there is someone here. And she actually gave me the name and it was a Jew. I said, well, there's another Jews not in the Jewish part. I said, so I got a Jewish neighbor. It's great. We're not in the Jewish only section. That's fine. I don't want to be in the ghetto. I don't need consecrated ground, you know, Scooby Dooby Ooby, and now it's consecrated. So, yeah, I got a Jewish neighbor, and all is well. There's a, a lovely sort of wall that that has been built, a stone wall with some, uh, and I asked what that was, and it turns out it's the work of a former, I think he's not there anymore, Post Gazette writer who had been sent out to do a story on this place. 
years ago. And he was so taken that he had, he worked out something with him and he's like building things there. And it's a, you know, he bartered essentially so that he could be buried there. And, um, it's like a little wailing wall, little tiny thing, because there's paper and you can write stuff. It's biodegradable paper. You can write on it, stick it in the, I don't know why you would, but, you know, people like to do stuff. So there's all that. Um, but Chuck, thank you for that story about your friend Pete. And I'll be glad to be in his company. Oh, what we got. So I broke up with uh, my personal trainer yesterday. It was very difficult, but it was COVID. It was, she's not vaccinated and I can tell she ain't going to be. And I just have such difficulty with that. And she won't budge and I wasn't going to budge. And so that was the end of that. Um, and you just, I mean, I, I, I wonder, I saw that there's this, uh, hospital in Houston and 153 of their employees resigned or were fired when the hospital said, you have to get vaccinated to work here. Can you imagine 153 people saying, I'd rather lose my job then get a vaccine when they work in healthcare. Amazing. Houston Methodist is one of the first uh, hospital systems to require uh, the vaccine. And uh, and I, I just I don't know I. I See, I don't know. So that's something I lost my personal trainer because of this. It's, it's just there are some things that you know. I'm sorry, you just can't you can't compromise on. I don't think. I don't think. <sighs> Barbara says. Oh, it's getting, I bet we're losing, I bet we're losing audience here. I was told by a local mortician that groundwater leaks into the coffins in a local cemetery, even though the coffin is contained in a vault. That would be, that would be enough for me not to want to be in a coffin. Well, what do you mean? You could go swimming. Had I ever considered that to be my first choice? I don't know how she knows about the water in the coffins, but that's what she told me. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I don't either. I don't know. I don't know. I think most people these days get cremated, don't they? And I I just can't go there. I'm sorry. Too many Jews went up in uh, up the chimney uh in the Holocaust. I I'm this Jew ain't getting burned. Anyway, I believe it's against our faith. So, 
You know, we often think of, I don't know if this is true. I mean, why should I put thoughts into your head? We often think, um, I often think, you know, with all these horrific stories we're privy to now of police behaving badly or murderously, uh, outrageously, that we forget it was ever thus. And in a lot of instances, their bad behavior, their murderous behavior, was greeted by the vast majority of Americans as, uh, yeah, there you go. That's the cops doing what they're supposed to be doing. And of course, that means it was white America reacting to what police were doing to black people. And I, this came to mind because of an obituary I read. And it was the obituary of a woman named Consuela Africa. She was 67 years old. She was one of the original members of the group called MOVE in Philadelphia. It was uh, founded by a guy named John Africa. He changed his name to get that. And um, the group was all about exactly what we've been talking about, was about back to nature, back to nature philosophy, and also back to black autonomy and liberation. And most of the people that were in the group uh, took his name. So I think there's a little bit of a cultish, <laughs> maybe, aspect to it. Um, man, the cops didn't like these people. And there was an attempt, I think it was 1985, there was an attempt to arrest four members of the group. It didn't go well. And what happened is so astonishing. The Philadelphia police trying to arrest four people fired 10,000 rounds into the row houses that where the members lived. And that wasn't enough. They actually bombed, bombed their own city. They had a helicopter go up with bombs and they dropped bombs on those row houses. The cops, just doing their duty, destroyed 65 homes in Philadelphia. That's what they did. Destroyed 65 homes, killed 11 people, including five children 
and they were charged with nothing. Nothing. 1988, a grand jury exonerated all police officials of any criminal liability. Can you imagine? I recall the uh, news coverage, and it, it it was covered like these people were dangerous and insane and you know lunatics. Consuela Africa, whose obit um, this is, was the mother of two of the children that were killed. Her daughters, Zanetta, who was 12, and Katricia, who was 14. Incredible. And she later found out that the University of Pennsylvania had used the bones of her daughter, Patricia, for some kind of forensic research. It was ever thus. The difference is that now a lot of us white folks are aware and are just are so many things, not the least of which is just such shame. I could peel off my skin. I feel like it puts me on the wrong side. But here's my skin. Okay, you guys, that's it. I see it's 11 o'clock. It's even a little bit after, and I've been babbling the whole time. Sorry. Thank you very much. I'm going out and get into this beautiful day. Incredible. You have a good one. See you Monday. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.